Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rambeck. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. We're in the middle of the COVID pandemic, as we've said many times on Critical Line Item, and small businesses doing it tough. What we've seen today is a suggestion from Kate Carnell, the uh, the the whiz, the guru in the office of the ombudsman of small business and uh, small and family business, for FBT to be suspended uh, for a period of time, so that businesses can get back on their feet. Now, what does this actually mean from? the perspective of small business and how does that kind of compare with what big companies do? Well, Lisa Gregg and I will be exploring that today and we'll look at it from several different perspectives. So, Lisa, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me, Tom. Now, if we look at um, the issue of FBT and small business, why is, if I can phrase it this way, why is what Kate Carnell is suggesting a good idea? Okay. Well, I refer to fringe benefits tax as a stick tax. It's a tax to prevent you from doing uh, bad things, if I can put it that way, or expensive things. So one side of the coin is that based on the government take of fringe benefits tax, it's quite small. But the compliance impost onto small business and any business actually is enormous. So it spends a lot more time uh, counting the cents than actually delivering some fringe benefits tax to the government into the coffers. Um, and secondly, I think as well where it would be good under the uh, 2020 COVID regime and the other side of it from what Kate is suggesting is that there is a lot of recipients of services from companies that would be subject to fringe benefits tax that would gain if that impost was lifted. For example, hospitality. Okay, so it's the hospitality industry that we know is suffering significantly from COVID. And if that taxing requirement was lifted off small business, they may be more inclined to spend money on basically meal entertainment, food and bev, which would normally have had some sort of impost for fringe benefits, Tom. So it's a it's both sides of the coin. One is the impost on small business uh, in terms of complying with fringe benefits tax, and then it's actually the recipients of the um, services that can would be subject to fringe benefits tax where there'd be more liberty to spend their money. That's actually interesting. Um in terms of where things are at, because businesses need to allocate that as part of their planning, don't they, when they're dealing with FBT? Yeah, you yeah, could probably think of it a bit of a, like a salary packaging. And what's quite interesting is that there's been very much with the, with the COVID stimulus packages that have been handed out, like JobKeeper, the real message from that is to keep the umbilical cord or whatever you want to call it between the employer and the employee. Okay. And so what fringe benefits tax is meant to be doing is instead of an employee receiving salary and wages that are duly taxed through our pay-as-you-go withholding system, 
They'll be getting other benefits, which we consider to be fringe benefits, acting as an employee, that aren't monetary, so aren't taxed. And when we think about that, uh, the tax system basically says food is entertainment pretty much, or food is private. So if you go out for a big boozy lunch, Tom, like we used to do in the old days, um, and spend um, lots of money there entertaining your staff or entertaining clients and things like that. It's considered meal entertainment and the employee con- proportion of that would be subject to fringe benefits tax. So that's where uh, the the uh, the motivation is to tax those sort of things where an employee is getting a benefit uh, that would not would not be taxed through the pay-as-you-go withholding system. So what we're trying to do here is get a perk, if you want to call that, for an employee to, to basically work and um, enjoy their uh, additional benefits of being employed by that employer. And, of course, it's not just food and bev, there's other things that can get captured under the fringe benefits tax regime, which is also motor vehicles. So that's another big one uh, for a lot of businesses as well. Well, there's a, there's something else in all this, isn't there? I mean, if you're a, if you're a big company, um, there are things that you can do internally that can be deductible, right? Um, exactly, Tom. I know where you're coming from from here. And so if you're, another, if you're so, a small, but but if you're a small business, you don't have the necessary financial scale to be able to embed certain things internally. Yeah, which is is additional employee benefits, right? So, if you um, have children, or if you're into fitness. Let's look at it this way. If you're in a big organisation with lots of employees, uh, they could have an in-house gym and in-house crash. okay? Those sort of things can be deductible to the, uh, to, to, to the employer if they're large enough and not subject to FBT. Whereas small business, so if you've only got like five employees, and you go, well, I'm not putting on a crèche because it's not economically viable for one employee or two employees that want to go to the gym, but I still think it's a good thing to provide those services. If that then is outsourced to outside the organisation, whether it be um, childminding or um, gym membership, then that benefit to the employee is then subject to fringe benefits tax and paid by the employer. So that's where you know, the Kate is getting at for the smaller businesses. They don't have the infrastructure to be able to provide benefits for their employees that aren't subject to fringe benefits tax. And the other thing is, of course, with small business, in just it's just a numbers game. It's a critical mass game that the cost of compliance is so much a higher percentage of their turnover, et cetera, or their employee costs as a small business uh, compared to a lot larger businesses. That's actually uh, an important thing for people to remember because, uh, and also for the government to remember because in the next little while, small businesses are going to really do it tough, aren't they? Uh, they're especially debt 
as the as the listeners understand, we're we're down in Melbourne. Um, yeah, it's it's still it's still looking for those sort of businesses that are um, more people contact businesses. Uh, they are still doing it very very tough, and it's not looking like um, from the messaging that's coming from our premier as well, Tom. It's not looking like uh, we will jump and bounce back out of our uh, curfews and restrictions and our five-kilometre circle as quickly as uh, the numbers are dropping, if you understand where I'm getting at there. So I think it's it's still going to be very tough. And a lot of my clients are saying to me, Lisa, we've been, we feel like we've basically been shut for the, for the whole 2020. It's just like, you know, we can't, we, we might've been back open for a couple of weeks, but now we're shut. And I mean, I'm doing JobKeeper declarations right at the moment, Tom, for the August. And we have to estimate, of course, when we do JobKeeper um, declarations, uh, the pro- projected, will help our clients do the projected turnover for September. And we're talking about coming out of stage four lockdown round about what mid-September, but that doesn't mean that some of my businesses that I uh, look after, the clients that I look after, will actually be able to reopen or not. So we're just not sure what we're saying. Conservatively, they're, they're planning on being shut for all of September as well. That's about the only thing that is safe for them to do really when you think about it because there's no real um, – indication when even if you reopen when the custom will return it's one thing to reopen it another thing to then get people back through a door surely well exactly and i mean some of my businesses are in the food industry so they've got to then invest in perishables and things like that and uh, if they're in food courts of a shopping town for example uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, – it's going to be too hard to manage in terms of being COVID safe, you know, wiping down tables after every person uh, leaves, um, 1.5 metre physical distancing, those sort of things. It is it is very difficult. So they're still really doing it tough. So I think any reasonable uh, flexibility when it comes to helping keeping that employee-employer connection, which is the whole premise of JobKeeper, and also the relief in most of the states from things like payroll tax as well, uh, is a good thing. And I think this is just a necess- a, a, a logical, let's say, a logical extension in alleviating fringe benefits tax might be a logical extension. And there's about, uh, oh, this is testing my, people who know tax will probably kick me on this. I think there's about eight different categories from memory off the top of my head. Anyway, there's a lot of them, eight to 12 different categories of fringe benefits. And of course, there's a catch-all called residual as well. But it might be to uh, give an amnesty for fringe benefits tax on just, you know, meal entertainment or something that where, where it's going to be a twofold um, assistance, Tom, as I'm saying, it's, it, it's, it's an assistance to the employer to provide this benefit to the employee, but also, you know, for the so hospitality and, uh, you know, the cafe trade and the restaurant trade. Maybe we just look at that little element of fringe benefits tax um, to see if that works. And then if that works, it could extend on from there because I've always found um, fringe benefits tax being very hard to discuss with clients, understand 
uh, with other practitioners and things like that. So, you know, my feeling would be, even though there's been no policy thrown around, but I would say let's use the small business CGT concession type uh, metrics on what a small business is, but I would be saying something like maybe a, two, a less than a $2 million turnover business should be not subject to FBT maybe at all. Um, because the other thing I'm sort of going into more detail, Tom, apologies for this, but the other thing with small business as well is that it's run by the family in a lot of a lot of times. It's the family business. And so there's a there's a crossover between money getting taken out of the business as a shareholder, being what we call Division 7A loans and and Division 7A uh, dividends and then also receiving benefits as an employee as well. So I'm thinking for businesses under $2 million, they might not hire too many people, especially full-time people. It's a lot of um, family members that help out that if FBT has been given an amnesty or it's not relevant for those sort of businesses, it's still there's still some protection in the tax system with the income tax system instead of the fringe benefit tax system. So the income tax system when it comes to um, directors' loans and directors' benefits. Yeah, that stuff's important to remember. I guess in, in in some respects, the detail you've gone into is pretty useful because people, as we've said before, it's it's quite tempting to gloss over some of this stuff, and yet uh, it's where um, it's when you get into the detail, Lisa, so that you start to get the messaging out there that this is not uh, something that you want to sort of get a get a little bit of advice that's hit and run on because you really need to plan and think this through. Well, that's exactly right, Tom. And if you've seen, there's been a lot of, um, I think there's been a lot of people with time on their hands during this lockdown. I know you and I haven't had time on our hands because we've been busy doing other things, but there's been a lot of time on our hands, a lot of discussion about the whole um, tax regime and, you know, pulling apart to fix it again. And one of the things that have come through with, with articles that I've read is there's, our tax system is quite complicated and every little tweak just adds an added degree of sophistication and complexity to it. And what I think the average person needs to understand with the tax system, that it's very, um, what can I say, symbiotic, if I can call it that way, that you can't just tweak income tax in one area and not have an effect on another area of income tax or another taxing system like GST or FBT. As you even noticed with my last discussion with the interaction between um, director's loans and, and shareholder benefits and fringe benefits tax, that's interacting the income tax acts with the fringe benefits tax act. So you've got to think about all the different uh, pulleys and levers when you're tweaking any sort of tax system, like what would that do? And, you know, when we're talking about alleviating fringe benefits tax, of course, pretty much everything apart from financial loans uh, that gets um, that's covered under fringe benefits tax, it's still subject to GST. So there's still some sort of revenue getting generated when you look at it, the 10% GST on on meals in restaurants and things like that. So there's still some 
tax take, if I can call it that, Tom, with um, even you know, just just alleviating that lever off of the FBT pressure on uh, businesses. Yeah, and it's uh, that's part of the reason why this whole area is is fascinating. I mean, it, it, we we're now in officially in recession, and I think it. it Government's going to need to look at ways in which it can stimulate uh, more involvement, more business activity, um, and it may necessitate the government losing some, let's call it losing some skin for a little while in tax revenue just to get people going out there and buying stuff again. Well, exactly, Tom. I mean, you're hearing... Um the, the messaging that's coming from the media, and I must admit I'm, I've been a bit of a sponge when it comes to these sort of things, but the percentage of people that are actually saving the money uh, and then they're now saying, well, are they saving it for future or are they saving money because they can't spend it because you can't go out to restaurants and you can't have your overseas trip and things like that. So it's always very interesting on finding when you start hearing messaging coming through like that like what is the true story how you where's the data coming from and really analyzing the statistics because you know sometimes people are being flippant or it's it's been a it's been a uh, survey of you know the top 10 people like family feud and they've come up with the top four answers (laughs) so I'm a little bit flippant when it comes to that sort of thing just what came into my mind Tom (laughs) yeah it's what came in and it worked its way through, uh, worked its way through the land room and came out again. But yeah, it's, but it's 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 one of those things where I'm just finding that there's just so much data that's coming through, and it's like I don't know we're, we've lost our grand final, as we know for for those punters that that follow the AFL, and I think we've replaced some of it with the the league tables from. For especially down in Melbourne, from Sato, basically going, well, what's the Twitter feed from DHS coming today? What's the numbers? We want the two numbers. We want the headline number, how many cases, and then, unfortunately, how many people have, have passed in the past 24 hours. And it's become a little bit of a sport, I think, which is a really a shame because we're, we're talking about very serious matters here. But people are just um, have to, you know, in these very interesting times, people just have to understand what the motivation is um, coming from 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 these sort of numbers, and yeah. the same thing with um, you know anyone suggests something, and if it's if you know the old thing, I've got I've got a bridge I can sell you, or if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, and that probably leads into you know what you've been spending your life on of late as well with your rorts and ripoffs book as well. Uh, yeah, there'll be um, there'll be more news on that in the next little while, but uh, what I will yeah. There is a vulnerability out there when, it, whenever there's some kind of crisis, there's a vulnerability out there. Um, whether it be, or, or there's a major event that shocks. It, it doesn't matter whether it's a financial thing or whether it's a, um, like a like a market collapse, or whether it's the pandemic, or whether it's a major terrorist event that happens and, and the raft of people that are affected by it, like a 9-11. There's all sorts of things that go on in people's minds. Some people um, steer a, um, a pretty safe course in their thinking. 
other people are more prone to believe that government doesn't tell us the truth. In fact, government will lie all the time. Therefore, is a conspiracy that explains what the government's doing or not doing. And in other cases, you've just got people who are going to exploit the vulnerable and try and make money out of people. And that's what we're seeing right now with certain kinds of investments, with certain kinds of websites and emails and other things. Um, and, and and when we get closer to the release of the book, we'll do a bit of a... We'll revisit a couple of themes, Lisa, um, that look at how people can be assured they're getting reasonable advice, whether it be advice, you know, financial advice, tax advice, credit advice, um, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and that, that, I think, is a topic worth revisiting because we're now in a recession. We're now formally in a recession. Mm-hmm. And yes. because we're in that state, uh, I think people are going to think um, uh, in a more or, or a slightly more panicked way about their finances because there's a sober lay of the word recession sitting on top of whatever people do right now. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tom. And if you think about it, anyone who's quite a quite a or say a little bit younger than us, um, they've probably only seen good times. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean it, it, they have. I, it, it, and then and yeah, forgive me, if someone out there is listening and finds this a little offensive, but it's an observation that needs to be made, and that is. The number of people on Twitter who've made the point that yeah, they can't go to the cinema at the moment, they can't go to a live play, they can't go to uh, go to a stadium gig, they can't do any of that. Well, the thing is, there are times in your life where what you like doing is not going to be able to happen, uh, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's finances getting really tight, and you needing to spend money on things that are um, you know, life's essentials. And by essential, I don't mean you have to go and see a stadium gig every month or something like that. By essential, I mean put food and bread on the table. Um, they haven't. Ex- there aren't people who, for example, in in the generation of our who like the generation of our parents who've had to go through a range of difficulties uh, in a previous environment uh, where, you know, my folks could count on on one hand how often they've gone out to a, a show in the past decade. Right? <laughs> it hasn't happened very often. No, that's exactly right, Tom, and, it, um, and I think that's what... There'll be a bit of a reality check, and I think it's been a reality check for 2020 on a number of accounts, and that's probably just another one. And now um, we're officially, as you said, in a recession uh, it needs to look at, you know, what the impact of that's going to be on the micro and the macro environment, really, of which uh, us Australian citizens are, have now found themselves in. Um, I'm finding that a lot of my clients have never had to worry about saving because they've always had good earning capacity 
and uh, they thought, you know, basically she'll be right sort of thing. And now all of a sudden they've gone, whoa, we've got a pull in our spending because firstly can't get any debt at the moment and the incomes, their income has been cut to um, shreds because of COVID because, you know, they're in, you know, marketing for, for, for uh, hospitality or they're in the tourism trade or they're in things that have basically just been cut off at the knees um, through no, no fault of their own. So it's, uh, it's whether they look for rainy day money, they look for a side hustle that um, keeps them a little bit nimble and flexible. There's, there's a number of different uh, reskilling and things like that we've talked on on pro- previous podcasts as well about those sort of things that, that uh, I think everyone's, everyone's doing a bit of reflection. I think 2020 could be the year of reflection on a, on a number of accounts. And it's fair enough too, because you can't go through what we've gone through without thinking about what your future is going to be. Um, speaking of that, uh, I know we have the past twenty four hours we've had the official announcement of a recession. Uh, you're sitting there, you're doing stuff for clients. Has anybody mentioned it to you on the phone or at all, or is it just something they're taking stock of? It's not really hitting my client base's radar at the moment, Tom. I mean, I I think I used the term micro and macro before, and they're very much looking at um, what's happening in their own backyard and uh, not looking at, okay, what does a recession actually mean to them? I think, and especially how long has it been since, you've probably got the stats more in front of you than me, but... um, how long has it been since we've been officially in a recession? Has it been 30 years or something? So, you know, you're looking at anyone who's been working, you know, you're talking about 50 and younger. Um, I mean, you're, you're, talking, you're talking 1991. I mean... Um, oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. So I mean, 30 I mean, years there, there, years, are, there yeah. are people, you know, there, there are people who... Um, at the time of the last recession, we're watching, you know, sort of play school at home on their grandma's knee... Um, and they're running, and, and they won't have seen a lot of that you know, hardship of a recession. It's only just really hitting. I mean, if you look at Twitter and in the media, Twitter, right? Yeah, the, by that I mean the cohort of journalists. Um, every time somebody announces they're leaving a news organisation, there's this massive outpouring of, yeah, you know, sort of um, professional grief about the fact that something, you know, there's another loss of work in the media sector. But if you don't have advertising, if, you, if your funding is getting cut in some way, shape or form, whether it's by government um, edict or in terms of not increasing certain funds that are made available to the ABC, or it's... Um, it's people on Twitter arguing certain advertisers shouldn't go advertise on television networks that do this, that, or the other. All of that has a all of that has a tangible result, and that tangible result is a lot of tears and a lot of pain. And overlay hey. that overlay that pressure to not, for example, from Sleeping Giants Australia. Um, for certain advertisers to drop advertising, overlay the recession on there, overlay an economic crisis that means 
what you might have spent on advertising before, you need to save to either buy a stock or pay your employees. It changes the dynamic really fast. Yeah, exactly, Tom. And I'm just, um, they're using the word recession and we know it's an a economic term and it's there's an equation to it, as we know. However, when you looked at back in, um, you know, 30 years ago, when you know, I was I was buying my first house and I was paying seventeen percent interest rates. Um, you know, the stock market had a bit of a correction and things like that. Where if you look at it now, um, you know, are we thinking about a recession in the same paradigm that we can part on to the younger generation? Because you know, they're saying interest rates are going to stay low for three years or whatever is the last. Um, uh, you know, a bit of advice that's been coming through and, you know, our, our market's still at about 6,000 points. So I'm just going, you know, what what does a recession in the 2020s look like compared to a recession in the, in the 1990s? Because as we know with the digital space and everything like that, um, you know, it, it, the game plan, you know, the business model, yeah. The economic model, I'm not sure if it's it's stacking up. So, you know, to answer your original question, <laughs> are my clients asking me what's going on? Well, I, I'm not sure if they know what it really means. So all they can do is look in their own backyard and sort out their own little patch, their own little um, five-kilometre radius, if we can put it that way. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, down here in Melbourne, um, where we're still in lockdown, of course, it's probably a good thing to try and get all of that, um, all of that nailed as best as we can. Um, and I, the the challenge for, by the way, the challenge in all of this is people working out um, how to be resilient in tough times as well. Um, and it's kind of interesting that uh, we see Twitter being used as a therapy forum, um, and I'm not sure it helps resilience. I think it raises angst. But it is something to be said for for people to look at how you build your own resilience, how you how you use this as a character building period. Um, as opposed to a period when you just complain ad nauseum about everything from not being able to leave home with a ma- without a mask, not being able to do this, not being able to do that. How do you how do you, you use it as a way of building strong character? Yeah, well, I mean, Twitter's a hard, difficult to do in that space, Tom, because you can be anonymous on Twitter, and I think that's one thing that's been a bit of a a victim of the trolls and and the really terrible attacks um, that, I mean, I know you and I have observed on Twitter um, with others and maybe even yourself. Um, I'm not as quite as, uh, I don't put myself quite out there as much as what you do on Twitter. But it's, um, I just think that uh, it's, it's it, it, it's can be quite a nasty uh, vehicle. Uh, I like... I look, I like Twitter because I can get information very quickly and the people that I follow, I can then, um, you know, understand what's going on. But, you know, to put, to put something out there and, and uh, look, you've got to have a thick skin uh, in politics. And if you're on, 
you're in the media and things like that, especially if you're out there on Twitter, because there's going to be someone that's going to uh, comment on your your you as a person. Uh, so you've got to be pretty thick skinned. So look, it's it, it's it's a pretty nasty forum. Uh, yeah. To to uh, and I and I think the anonymity. Oh, I'm glad I could say that on Thursday night. Anonymity. Anonymity. On your shouldn't have anonymity. Yeah, anonymity. I think that is adding to the to the uh, the, the nastiness. This that's. Oh happening. yeah, it does. But you, you see, what 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 never surprises me about Twitter is that um, people are so quick, are so fast, so in a hurry to attempt to make a virtue of their own intellectual inadequacy <laughs> uh, in a public forum. They actually want to demonstrate how dumb they are. It is the funniest thing. I mean, I, I actually look at Twitter some days and that is my, you know, comic relief. The speed at which people in today's environment um, desperately want to make a virtue out of stupidity is the very reason why a lot of people sit there and go to Twitter. They like like I think there are people out there who genuinely um, like watching other people make idiots of themselves. <laughs> but there you go. Um, well, that's been around since, you know, slapstick comedy and, you know, Laurel and Hardy, et cetera, Tom. So people do oh, yeah, but, but, but people La- Laurel and Hardy and the Three Stooges were a better class of idiot. Um, but the, we were still laughing at one of their expenses, but... Um, Probably not quite as PC now, is it really? Uh, not quite. Mm. Um, but there you go. Uh, okay, what are the? Uh, there are a couple of things we should point to. It is before we close. It's early September. Yes, there's a lot of job keeping work going. There's also a federal budget coming next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we yeah, we'd, it's moved sixth, from May sixth to, of October. Yep. Yep, so we've got the federal budget coming up next month. So we will, uh, as things get closer to the budget, we'll probably look at some of the things you and I would like to see in the context of the federal budget. Yeah, and I probably think there'll be the usual leaks where um, most of the things will come out beforehand still. Uh, but it'll be interesting to uh, look at the way up of um, tax cuts to stimulate the economy versus uh, not giving them because we need to pay back the stimulus, the COVID stimulus packages. So it's going to be quite an interesting budget, I think, Tom, from that point of view. Um, it's probably but I think in terms of leaks, they'll probably, the government will probably want to manage expectations. Mm, that's right. Um, that's right. I think we'll get a lot of but leaks. Also, uh, but also they may want to keep some stuff uh, as, a, as a surprise for the night. I mean, it, managing expectations ahead of time is where we get various leaks and various briefings, but it, I don't think people are going to be looking to this budget for a real miracle. I think it, I think they'll be hoping more for a steady as she goes um, uh, because there's, there's not many miracles you can turn in an environment where you've just hit a recession and you really need to find a way of giving people a... Um, a jab in the arm, something that gets them moving for um, 
you know, to try and get the economy back on track. Yeah, exactly, Tom. Sounds good. Okay. I think we've got we've covered a lot of stuff. We sort of went from FBT to the philosophical uh, in this particular podcast, but that's okay. Um, anyone that uh, wants to suggest a topic for future podcasts can do so by contacting me on Twitter at trablick. All caps. You can find me direct. Uh, my direct messages are open, and um, we'll be able to add that to the list of things we we talk about next week and beyond. Lisa, thanks for joining me again this week. Always a pleasure, Tommy. And we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk again next week. And stay safe, everyone. Look after each other. And I'll be back soon with another uh, podcast that will hopefully be of interest to you. Take care.